Welcome into the Esports Network Podcast, where we talk about all kinds of esports, from your traditional PC games to your console kind of, you know, lackluster releases, which is, it's all right. But you know what? We also have to talk about mobile gaming. And here to help me do that, let's welcome in Paul Toddkill, Product Manager for ESL. That's right, the very same electronic sports league we all know and love, ESL. Of course, Paul, uh, I, is it Inverum? Inverum? I've heard it like 30 different ways on various yes. streams. And I have yeah, no clue. I, unfortunately, now it's all of those things. It wasn't Verum <laughs> for a long. So this is so this is we're going to start with this, folks. If you're looking to get started in esports and just say someday, folks may need to say my name who've only seen it written. Pick a name you can only pronounce one way. Oh <laughs> dear me! Pick a name that you can pronounce one way because if you don't, they'll pronounce it and everywhere. My favorite is Invernum. They just oh, add a second no. N in there oh. and they. They do it. Paul also works just fine. <laughs> I was going to call you Mr. Toddkill. That sounds like a better oh. in-game name for you anyways. It, it's a it's it's not a bad last name for gaming, but there's like 300 of us oh, worldwide, goodness. so it's like, eh, it's a little too much, maybe. We'll just, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll, just <laughs> well, in case you don't know who those lovely dulcet tones are in Verum, of course, eSports staple with freelance commentary for work for Blizzard, ESL, TESPA, or variety of games. I can't even begin to list how many games you've, you've worked on. PUBG Mobile, Heroes of the Storm. Uh, you joined ESL in 2018 as a freelance product manager now your expertise pertains to the marketing community engagement user acquisition for uh you know the, the mobile space that we are in right now and so obviously mr todd kill you also have first-hand experience in developing some of the uh premier uh growing esports ips in north america so that's a little quick and dirty rundown for paul uh thank you for coming on the show man i appreciate you taking time out of your i'm sure busy busy work schedule i don't want to take up any more of your time but uh if you're ready to go i am Let's do it. Let's go. All right, man. Let's get some background and info from you, from your own words, from your own mouth. What was your first real experience or exposure to esports growing up? Oh, boy. That's so a tough one, I, am, I know. <laughs> uh, no, well, so it's interesting because I started around the same time that a lot of other folks did. But the difference was I'm about seven years younger than a lot of these other guys. <laughs> so my first esports event was MLG Toronto 2008. Wow. I was like 13 years old. Um, I was a kid. It was in the back hall of like a Comic-Con and it was the first time I ever seen people in cosplay, which was already weird. Uh, <laughs> and I was, I was just, uh, I was a kid. I played Gears of War at a pretty high competitive level. We were like a relatively top ranking, like game battles team, like aspiring pro player. And, you know, they had an MLG event in Toronto. So we have to go to this. You know, me and a friend of mine went out. And it was the first time that I'd ever seen esports treated somewhat seriously. Mm. Obviously, we took it seriously because we were competitive players. And, you know, we spent out, like way too many hours <laughs> um, playing games and, and competing on, you know, grinding on game battles at the time. But that was my first real exposure. And I've, I've followed it ever since. I sort of had my highs and lows, you know, finishing, you know, high school and stuff like that. But I really got back into it with StarCraft and around 2012, oh, yes. 2013. Um, it was just one of those things where sort of the stars aligned. I was in university. I got really into in StarCraft and Dota. Uh, started following competitive Dota at that point. Found my love of MOBAs. Sort of transitioned away from console gaming to PC gaming, and had just been hooked ever since. And when opportunities arose, when I graduated to pursue you know a career in the gaming space, I sort of jumped with both hands. And um, at that point, I'd already been casting professionally for about two years, and I was able to leverage those connections that I developed casting, and sort of 
build my career that way. That's awesome, man. Ugh, that story lines up with so many I've heard before. And it's just like MLG events in the early 2000s. And all of a sudden yeah. you get popped into StarCraft 2 and that leads to the PC game. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. You're not alone in that. So I'm sure you have an entire network built around those early years. And so, I mean, but really, when did you first really start taking it seriously? You mentioned you had uh, pro level casting, you know, around your graduation date. What was your like real level of intrigue or, or desire to work in the industry? When did you say, you know what? I can make an actual career out of this. I think it was around 2015. Um, it was when Heroes of the Storm first came out. Uh, there was a competition that they did celebrating the launch of beta called Heroes of the Dorm. And I played in it originally as a, as a player. I was getting my degree in marketing, my business degree. And I thought, oh, this is be this would be a lot of fun. So I started playing heroes sort of competitively. And I was good, but I was never like the best at it. And I quickly thought, you know what? This could actually be interesting to try doing commentary because I have a theater background. You know, I'm, I'm I like doing graphic design and putting on you know stream stuff seemed entertaining to me. So I started in my dorm room casting, and I just grinded, man. I was my last year of university, or went to my last year of university. I didn't have a lot of classes because I very smartly front loaded it so that I could sort of chill in my last year. <laughs> and then instead of doing that, I just casted esports. Um, and then Blizzard hit me up and they're like, we'd love to have you come out and cast this event, Heroes of the Dorm, which I, again, I competed in as a player. And that was my first opportunity working in a professional, like a real pro professional right. capacity. They flew us out to Los Angeles, lived there for like eight weeks. And that was sort of an eye-opening experience of like, wow, okay, there's a lot more going on in this. I mean, I'm from just outside Toronto, you know what I mean? We don't mm -hmm. really have a lot of this kind of stuff. And so to go live in Manhattan Beach... And, you know, walk into the studio every day. They're making Avatar in the next building. Oh, goodness. And I go, <laughs> like, you know, James, Cam people in mocap suits walking around the lot. James Cameron's there. Like, what is going on? And it, it was sort of one of those, like, wait, could I actually do this for real? And that was sort of that first eye-opening moment. And, you know, that was, that was really cool. I was working at a tech startup at the time in gaming. And after I graduated and I was able to sort of build both simultaneously the company was very open to me pursuing casting because obviously me building those connections was positive for them and, and i was very fortunate in that regard to work at a company that was so supportive of me doing that and i was essentially able to transition onto esl and yeah it's been a lot of fun that's awesome and and, and uh, i'm curious specifically about about casting you know the 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 kind of uh, the, the thrill of doing it what was your attraction to it was it you know kind of researching and set up beforehand the the middle of the action kind of casting or and when did you figure out like hey I'm, I'm i'm actually pretty good at this i mean did you ever feel you were like you had a little bit of imposter syndrome going into casting and so that one's interesting because when i started casting i positioned myself as as like an analyst because i was at the time the highest like mmr or whatever the heroes mm -hmm. equivalent was caster you know I, I made it to like top 16 blizzcon qualifiers played against teams like tempo storm and cloud nine at the time and was like you know holding my own and i thought okay i can bring this high level game knowledge and then one of the pro players in the scene retired and decided that and like within a month was casting professionally wow like just cut the line in or they were like a world champion level player. I'm like, oh, I can't do analysis. And this is Paul's little advice tidbit number two. And this one's a little more controversial is uh, if you're not a pro player or have never been a pro player, don't don't be an analyst. Just don't try because the second the next pro retires and they have a half decent voice and can communicate in front of a camera, they're going to take your spot. Yeah. So I quickly transitioned into more of a play by play role um, and sort of made my way there. And and. I don't know if I ever had one of those real outright like imposter syndrome moments, 
but there's definitely been a few moments in in fights we had a couple of those in arena of valor where i was like okay i meant to do this there are a couple of clips that went around and i'll listen to it back went, yeah okay this is kind of fun. I guess I'm not. I guess I'm not the worst at this. Hey, man, that's great to hear. You know, a lot of times you go into this industry, you're like, oh man, I don't, I don't know. There's so many big shining lights. I don't know where I'm going. I, I feel like I shouldn't be here, but I'm happy to say that like, you actually didn't have that experience as as bad as most of us, which is awesome. Because you know, this is this is a uh, a lot of people just want to say like, oh, uh, I, just, I just don't feel that confidence. But you know, with casting, I feel like you, you kind of have to have that kind of confidence going into it because it's your voice that people will be hearing. It's your voice that people are going to refer to when they hear a call you know it's something that we'll look back for years and kind of say like this is the guy that kind of made that moment happen and so you know coming from a sports background myself you know that the the whole notion of of play calling and commentating is really an important kind of ear ear inducing kind of enjoyment that i find and that i'm glad to hear that you kind of found yourself at at ease in that position but i mean you you go through years of casting you go through these these moments of games and and events what was uh maybe a great educational or just an important educational moment for you while working as a caster either with blizzard or test but really just what did you figure out like man that was a really important lesson that i just had to figure out the hard way or i just learned an easier way that's a fantastic question. And there are a few little <laughs> lessons for sure that I've learned. Probably the biggest overarching one is that it doesn't matter how good you are if you're not easy to work with. And mm-hmm. I learned very quickly early on. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm a relatively approachable human being. You know, my parents raised me to be nice to people and treat people with respect. It doesn't matter if they're the person getting the coffee, or if they're the EP of the show. And that's sort of the approach that I took when I was coming into it. And I learned very quickly that uh, that gets you a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are people who, again, they might be great at their jobs, but if they're not fun to work with, they're not going to get hired back. And, you know, going in and, and really making an effort to be friendly and to put the work in and to not be a diva was, it, it helped a lot. And I had a producer very early on, my, my first real producer that I worked with, his name was Bernard. And this guy had produced like multiple Super Bowls. I mean, this guy had worked with the upper echelons of television. And here he was working at an esports event. And, he said that every mistake is just an opportunity for greatness. And anytime anything ever goes wrong, it's an opportunity for us to show how good we are at our jobs. Because it's if everything goes according to plan, that's kind of whatever. You know, it's good. I mean, yes, it means you put the work in ahead of time, but yeah, it's whatever. But when things go wrong, that's where, oh, that video that we shot that we can put in here, oh, that B-roll that we have, oh, that storyline that we prepped, that's where we get to take things to the next level. And it was a very, very powerful lesson that I learned early on to always make sure that you have something in the can that you can bring out if you need to, to fill in those situations. Cause I mean, you know, the, the, the jokes about the LCS literally <laughs> caster stalling. I mean, you don't, you want to avoid those memes as much as possible. Of course, that being said, the LCS puts in hilarious amounts of work uh, <laughs> and has all of those stories prepped. So yes. they are following, I think a very similar uh, pattern. there, a very similar mindset. It's just an opportunity to show how good you are. I mean, you and you've shown yourself as how good you are continually over the past few years. And so I guess my, my last question was really quick about your background. I mean, what was your favorite game to, to cast or is there a game that you cast that you love to play as well? I mean, I, I mean, this is kind of a subjective question, right? But what games did you love to, to really kind of talk about and what games did you love to play or is, or is there overlap at all? You know, so that's. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm sure if you'd ask different people that you get a lot of different answers, especially if you ask commentators. I'm kind of in a weird situation because I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a mercenary in the sense that my job now with ESL it requires me to work on a ton. Of, I've casted 12 different game titles in the last three years. Oof. Everything from League of Legends to Counter Strike to PUBG Mobile to Arena Valor to auto chess you know what i mean <laughs> totally different games so i don't really get to play a lot of them a ton i found that my big thing is i like to watch pros i mean i my gameplay you know at a gold level will only take me so far at x games and you know so i don't actually get to play a ton of video games anymore <laughs> as much as i'd love to stay otherwise um i like to watch pro gameplay that's my big thing i like to watch tape i like to glean you know as much as i can from them i like to watch their streams i like to listen to their thought processes and that's really my big thing i mean i, I i've been playing you know I, I still go back and play like a gears of war every now and again just to make sure i'm okay i even play valorant with friends play some league of legends play dota um i play a little bit of everything but yeah i don't i wish I, i'm actually still looking for that game i thought I, I played a little bit of rogue company recently that game was oh. a ton of fun i wish high res didn't <laughs> put it into the ground um we tried our best to grow an esports team for that game but not not happening um but yeah no i wish I'm, I'm still on the hunt i'm still on the hunt for that that game i'm gonna put some right. into looking for that that pink elephant just i don't know where it is it's gonna pop out somewhere it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna really gander that attention from you but you know yes. i'm sure in the mobile gaming space it's a little bit easier to kind of find time to to to, to game so. while you're traveling or while you're you Very know much. you have a little bit of downtime here and their mobile gaming is definitely on the up and up and that's really why i want to talk to you because it's it's a it's an interesting industry we find ourselves in right now right where we have pc console and now mobile gaming is really is this emerging space for the esports industry so you move into your current role with ESL, what makes the mobile space so unique in this moment right now? I'm going to give the the default answer, and it's the answer <laughs> everybody will give you, and it's because it's true. Go for it. It's because mobile esports has no barrier to entry. Mm. You don't need a thousand dollar, two thousand dollar PC. You don't need a six hundred dollar console. You don't need a tell. You need nothing. You need the device you already own in your pocket. And these days, any phone you've bought in the last three years is going to be good enough to play any game at a passable level that is being played competitively. There's mm. no barrier to entry. We look at the demo splits. We look at the age splits. I had a sixteen and a sixty five year old competing on the same stage at Dreamhack wow. Dallas. We have had the first women to compete like professionally at like a non Intel challenge type event on our stages of the ESL in the last few years were through our mobile events. It is the most diverse audience It is the most wide ranging audience. We have a whole team of dads competing in the ESL <laughs> mobile challenge. What other esport could you have that in? You couldn't. We have 16 year olds competing, playing grinding away at brawl stars after school. It is crazy to watch. And it's because Anybody can pick up their phone and do it. It doesn't discriminate. That's what is, is really separating mobile gaming right now. I know, I know it's a dumb question, right? I know, I know it's a, to ask like, oh, what's what makes mobile gaming so different? But I feel like everybody no, a good question because they won't think about it. Exactly, you know, they just take it for granted. No, you're right, and so that that inclusivity that people just overlook so 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 often with with gaming is just like, oh, I didn't realize that you know, oh, you know, that person who is either going through because you know, I have a cousin who's, who's disabled with 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 one hand, and so he plays mobile games all the time, and I never really thought to ask like, why do you play mobile games? And that you just put it into like a, a good point. There's there's no barrier. It's 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 easy. It's simple. It's nothing that they can really kind of give people, you know, issues to, to get involved in. It's simple. And I mean, 
And now we've talked about how easy it is to get into this space, right? And you have, you know, a pretty extensive marketing background. So to go along with that experience of yours, what do you think is, is one of the, the great difficulties to overcome with that mobile marketing slash gaming industry? You know, is it the, the, the kind of deluge of games that you have to kind of sift through to get an actual good esport title from? I think that is a symptom of the problem or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the other problem, the problem is a symptom of that. Hmm, I it's the stigma. Yes. It's the stigma about mobile gaming in, in, in the West that we have that phone games are just all gotcha. They're all pay to win. There's no com- competition. There's no skill. It's just, it's just, you spend a lot of money and you know, the whales will have, you know, spend thousands of dollars and they'll beat you every time. That stigma at probably at one point was somewhat true. I mean, if you even look back, you know, five to seven years, it's probably mm-hmm. not inaccurate. Um, but I think it takes, it takes away from the strides that companies have made in the last few years to really try and, and break that. I mean, the competitive game modes in any of the games that we have in our tournament, if you were to go in and play with a couple exceptions are auto balanced, mm-hmm. like, you know, a me with an account level 20, you with an account level 200, we would be balanced playing against one another, same power levels. So companies are really taking strides to make a more comp- balanced competitive experience because esports objectively is good for the health of your game. You think that Dota and Counter-Strike would still be where they are if it wasn't for their robust esports scenes that have helped players and, you know, continued to drive fans for literally decades at this point? Clash of Clans is having an insane resurgence of players, and I'm not saying that it's just because we've, at, you know, we've started building an esports scene for it, but I'm not saying they're not connected. We are seeing world championships for Clash of Clans, a game that if you'd asked me five years ago, Clash of Clans esports, I'm like, what? That's a 10 year old game. That, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but these players are insanely good. There is actual ridiculous depth of strategy to a game like this. And it's not something that we would ever have appreciated. It's, it's things people would laugh at if they don't know the context. These players are out here competing. You know, tomorrow we're determining for our ESL mobile challenge who our top four teams are. The number one team will walk away with 18 grand in their pocket. I mean, that's not chump change so it, you know and, and that's only you know one small part of our global program so i think again it's it all comes back to that stigma that mobile games can't be competitive and i think with the advent of these you know wild rift is coming out you know other publishers are taking a look at it more seriously PUBG mobile i think mm-hmm. is really i mean PUBG mobile was breaking ground for pc PUBG. Yeah. um <laughs> i think that's really gonna help at least here to to start to chip away at that no, I mean, I just, I went to, I'm like, you said, DreamHack Dallas in 2019. I went there for my first time just covering an event, just, you know, casually. And so I, I when I, I saw the mobile game stages were absolutely filled to the brim on these, these big game days. I was, I was shocked. I, I had no clue that, you know, mobile esports were such a huge thing that were, you know, really driving the industry right now. Like you mentioned, you know, PUBG kind of getting that, their own resurgence, Clash of Clans, seven, eight year old game right now, getting a huge yep. resurgence. And now pretty much everybody's getting their their own little port from their main game into a, a mobile device somehow somewhere but uh, i mean right now the, the big thing is is kind of getting uh, those metrics and everything in terms of you know uh, reach and engagement what's a, a big metric that tends to get either overlooked or is is really all encompassing and an important one when it comes to measuring how these mobile games really or not just mobile games in terms of outreach and and, and marketing in terms of how, you know how far these games really reach people and, and and engage with their audience. It's a, 
<clears throat> I wish it was as simple as like, you know, look at AMA and that's all that matters. Uh, it's, <laughs> it, it's not quite that simple. And, and I wish it was because it would make our jobs a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> no doubt. Um, mobile gaming viewership is, is interesting because all the time you're going to hear about how big mobile gaming viewership is. But you'll turn on Twitch, you'll turn on YouTube maybe. And you'll go, I don't, but I don't necessarily see it. And that's because so much of the viewership still is in Asia. Mm -hmm. And we are still very much so, and in North America specifically, we ignore things that we don't see right in our own backyards. And you can't, and a prime example of this the other day, Reggie from TSM mm -hmm. posting about, you know, in five years, mobile viewership surpass PC esports. And I'm like, you own a PUBG mobile team in India. Yep. And you don't know that mo pub that mobile viewership already exceeds. And I saw like esports professionals commenting on this post I'm like it already is there. Free Fire 5.2 million concurrence, the biggest ever mm -hmm. or highest ever concurrent viewership on a single esports broadcast. They smashed it. We went from 3.4 to 5.2 in the span of weeks. Free Fire is killing it in Brazil. And you people we just don't know we just don't look at it. And I wish it was a simple thing of viewership is BLNL because it's not. But people need to start realizing that this stuff is already out there and happening. So when, you know, I understand it's a meme at this point, but when Dr. Disrespect <laughs> mobile gamers, it's like, man, <laughs> you're already behind. Yeah. And I know it's a meme and I know he's very cognizant that it's a meme and that he's aware of the power of mobile. Um, but I think that with the advent of, again, games like Wild Rift and Cod M here in the West and, and those numbers steadily picking up, we're, we're going to start to have those folks realize it. And again, viewership is a good metric. Player base is a good metric from marketing. Um, hours watched is really interesting. And mm -hmm. YouTube has done a fantastic job of really demonstrating that live viewership doesn't necessarily matter because at least here, uh, mobile lives on YouTube, yeah, which is very different from a lot of other esports where it's traditionally all about Twitch. And Twitch has done a lot. They've, you know, from we've spoken to people at Twitch and they've expressed a ton of interest that they want to continue to grow mobile on their platform that they know and they appreciate how important mobile is. But right now it's still YouTube's game. YouTube is doing a fantastic job. And what we're learning is that esports demo is again already quite young mobile tends to skew even younger and their attention spans just aren't there like unless you can digest a five minute clip mm -hmm. or, or something like that they're just not going to watch they're not going to sit around and watch a six hour you you know esports broadcast <laughs> on twitch which is making us then in turn have to rethink how we view an esports broadcast does it have to be an eight to twelve hour long affair probably not and which is maybe why uh, one of the reasons why our broadcasts are more in the five, four to five hour range is, is what we're aiming for. It's still, you know, a robust time, but it's not those 10 hour days that you might get at like a kind of or something. Hey, four to five hours like a baseball game must be real. That's, that's not too bad at all, honestly. <laughs> but is it? No, from what, from what I remember, I used to work okay. for uh, this Texas Rangers affiliate for MLB. And so the the, the nice. broadcast would run in like four to five hours. That's what I remember. Just from like pregame all the way through the actual game into the postgame, which is like a quick 20, 20 three minute little rundown that they had. But uh, Paul, I just got to say, like, I always say on this show that like this next decade is going to be one of the most pivotal for esports that will affect the next 50 years moving forward. Right. And I don't think a lot of people realize 
why it's pivotal will be because of mobile gaming kind of taking over the space in this next decade. Like you mentioned, Brazil is really kind of taking advantage of, yep. of mobile games lately. And I'm, I'm surprised Reggie tweeted that out earlier this week because they oh, just, it was a few weeks ago now, but yeah. yes, it was. Yeah. And it today was, the news comes out, you know, as of recording today, the news comes out, TSM FTX buys uh, a Brazilian wild rift yep. team. And I'm just like, oh. thanks sweet Jay for that one. Yep. So <laughs> it's like Jeff Chow over at TSM. Exactly. Uh, at the back He's been a huge proponent to mobile for a long time one of the people in the space who i 100 respect opinion wise uh, and there's not an accident keep no. an eye on on what tsm is doing at mobile because they're going to be i think helping to encourage other north american orgs to get their acts together if they're not Never already heard. getting their acts together by this yes. time but we'll see we'll see like, like like i said this decade will be like a pivotal point for esports and that's it'll be away from pcs it'll be away from consoles it'll be on the mobile you know the mobile space but uh, just how quickly really i mean this has been growing for the past 10 years or so so esports uh, for for mobile gaming, just how quickly has this thing evolved for you? Is it? Go, I know it's moved from you know, the phones to the in person events to the stage. What's next for mobile gaming? That's really the question, and and it's you know you hate to you hate to go back to it, but COVID made us think about stuff and mm-hmm. made us think about what an esports event looks like. Is it still that traditional stadium event that we we know? Are the things different? Is it is it smaller in scale? How does the audience interact with it? And and these are all things we're considering. I think, and and I want to clarify, not clarify, but I want to add on to your statement mm-hmm. that, and I think this is a fear people have because they love their PC and their console games. Mobile gaming isn't going to take away from what you already have. No, it is not going to be a we sub out. PC games for phone games. No, what it's going to do is phones are going to be the gateway drug to esports. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. Like Rocket League has been for so many people because it's so accessible and so easy to understand. These mobile games are going to bring more people into it. Um, like my girlfriend's mom was playing Arena of Valor when I was casting it, and she was like, got the like plat. Oh my like, goodness! Wh- like what? <laughs> like hundreds of games. I'm like, what's going on? And she's in her fifties. Like. But that's what's happening. That's how you're going to get folks in who may never have seen it before. And I don't know what the next 10 years looks like. The growth has been all over the place. Again, 2020 threw off all our projections, both good and bad. But if you take a look at NewZoo does great reports. And if you're interested Mm -hmm. in the business of esports and that stuff, I highly recommend you check out the reports that NewZoo puts out every year. The growth is looking at 18% to 22%. The next five years are looking staggering in terms of mobile phone penetration. Uh, India, again, is the big one. I mean, we're now looking at a situation where mobile devices outnumber humans by a massive number. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's we, we have way more phones than we have people. And th- with the addition of things like 5G coming out, the edge computing, being able to take the processing power off of your phone and onto the cloud to be able to run games at higher fidelity. These are the things that I think are going to start to open people's eyes. We have 120 FPS phones now with these crazy OLED screens. You can tell I've done a few ad reads. Um, (laughs) But these kind of things are going to make people go, okay, I can do this as well. And again, things like Valorant coming to mobile, things like Apex coming to mobile, things like COD coming to mobile. I think you're going to make, make folks realize that you can play out on the go and then go home and play on your console. They're not exclusive. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You can do both. And I think that's what's going to help here. I think in Asia, it's just going to absolutely take over. I don't know what PC esports is going to look like in Asia in a decade, but it will be a fraction. I mean, it already is, but it will be a tiny fraction of what mobile gaming and esports is. I mean, I mean, multi, multi, multi million dollars. Yeah. We're going to have events that, that eclipse TI 
Wow. In terms of scale in the next 10 years in mobile in Asia. I mean, if they keep double, I mean, they're, they're essentially doubling every five or six years or so at this point, at this yep. current rate that they're at. But I mean, that's just insane to think about that, you know, uh, uh, possibly in the future, a mobile esports tournament will rival, if not exceed TI in terms of prize. I'm assuming, I'm assuming prize pool money and, and viewership yep. and all that. And it's, it's an all encompassing thing that I've, I don't think a lot of people are really realizing that five years from now, we could see that feasibly happen in our lifetimes. It's a, it's a crazy thing to think about. I mean, I, I, I'm just thinking about now how everybody, every developer is trying to get in on that kind of esports uh, mobile gaming train, right? They're, they're, they're basically porting their, their mainstream PC console games to the, 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 the mobile space. We have Apex, uh, League of Legends now with a Wild Rift. We've had, you know, like you mentioned, COD Mobile. PUBG has already been in the space for a while now. Oh, yeah. How, I mean, the attraction of that market, is that still tremendously understated by these game developers? I think they got it now. <laughs> I think they got it now. <laughs> I think they were a little bit slow uh, in some cases, but I think they got it now. And and it's a shame because I mean I was there at, at BlizzCon in in the main hall when they announced Diablo Immortal, mm-hmm. and to, and as somebody who was already very much in the mobile space to hear the crowd and feel the crowd's reaction, the disappointment sucked a little bit, and you know. Obviously, people wanted Diablo 4 and they were disappointed, and that's mm. okay. But, you know, and we got the do you not all have foams meme. So it wasn't <laughs> totally for, for not. Um, but I think that to me was really, really indicative of where we are. And I think even now, how perceptions have changed has been big. I think Activision has has gotten it into their heads that now everything needs to be mobile. And I hope that that doesn't happen at the expense of other stuff because then again, is pushing towards the stigma is going to set us back. I think if developers are smart about it, we are going to be in great shape. But the big thing for me is that they don't try and ride the hype train so much that they push stuff out before it's ready and only continue to add to, again, the stigma that is going away, really going away, but but releasing bad phone games is going to set us back. It's going to set all of us back. So I just hope the developers take the time and love and care that they would take for any console or PC game and, and put it into mobile because the devices that we're playing them on, I mean, the Switch, I think, opens so many people's eyes to what a mobile device would look like um and really creating triple a gaming experiences i mean anybody who hasn't played hades on the switch is a you're missing out game of the year 100 and it really just goes to show that you can have an amazing experience in the palm of your hands and, I, and obviously it's not a phone but a lot of phones are as powerful in some cases <laughs> as, as this especially the new ones coming out so i don't really know where we started and now that i'm here uh i've forgotten what the question no but uh, <laughs> i think the de- i think the developers are finally grasping what the the potential of, of mobile is. And I, I'm excited to see what they continue to do with it as the tech continues to get better and better. Let me just add on to your point, because I was I, I will regretfully admit that I was wrong about Diablo Immortal. What right? Obviously the means came out. We were all like laughing about mm-hmm. it. Like, oh, we all have phones. Ha ha ha. So it's not Diablo 4. It's this garbage, you know, little uh, mobile game or whatever. And um, I, I I I probably will eat my words in the next year or so when it releases. And it's, it's just like Oh, you know what? I, I I see what they were going for here. They were going for a market that has been untapped up until this point, for the most part, in terms of what Diablo has, has recently been. And they're going to make bank off this. And it's insane to me that people, even today, will still make fun of Diablo Immortal. I'm like, you, you got to understand. That's the mobile space right now is just so far untapped in North America. They're going to make bank in Asia. They're going to make bank in you know Brazil, Latin America. Europe is starting to get the hang of it more than North America is right now. So I'm sure 
sure we'll see Diablo Immortal become one of those, you know, like the old PS2 greatest hits. This will be like a mobile gaming greatest hits instead. So I, I, I think I will, I will eat my words when it comes to Diablo Immortal. And I'm, I feel like, you know what? I'm more than happy to do so. Look, the fact that you're already aware and I've already had the, you know what? You're good. Man, don't worry about it. Because we all we all have those thoughts and perceptions, and the fact that you're changing your opinion over time shows growth and development. It's good. No, it's good. I and it's a ton of fun. Yes, the, the controls are actually so fluid. And I have to say this to somebody who never played a ton of Diablo, and I will play that game. So no, yeah. that's. I mean, I'm I'm happy. I'm I will happily play it and and see what it's like and in, indulge for for an hour or two. And if I don't like it, I'll probably toss my phone in the garbage. But no, 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 don't I'm not do, do that. I'm not just do uninstall. That. It's just uninstall. <laughs> just uninstall. Delete the app. It's fine. But I mean, Paul, this, is, this has been uh, an absolute joy talking to you so far. So I, I got to ask you uh, at least one last question about, you know, gaming and mobile gaming, because it's something that it's interesting to me and interesting to some people I'm sure out there who want to listen to this. And what's something right now that excites you about working in this industry? Man, I'm going to. It's a big can one. I, can I can I can I just esports as a whole? Can we can we make it a sure. little broader? Can you want to go all in, as a whole? You want to go all encompassing? Yeah. Go with it. Let's let's go because a lot of my job, I mean, obviously work on our, our mobile program at ESL quite a lot, but I, I do touch on a, a bunch of other stuff as well. And I think the biggest thing for me that's exciting me so much is that and it's a weird one. It's 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 kind of intangible, but it's the fact that people know what we do now. Mm. Like, I remember I would go on planes traveling to events and it was always, oh, my son or my nephew or my grandson, you know, <laughs> be talking to the person next to you on the plane. And now it's like, oh, I play games. Oh, I get it. Oh, I've seen that. Oh, I know about that. And even in the last four years, just the social awareness, I mean, Ninja playing with Drake, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I really won't have to try hard to explain what I do in 10 years. That oh, to me is, is the coolest thing is the fact that we are starting to become part of the global pop culture you know, group think that we are there that up there with music, gaming, gaming is the number one segment on YouTube. Yes. yes. It is staggering how popular gaming is. There's not, there's not a kid in, in, at least in North America, there's not a kid alive right now who hasn't played some sort of game. And the fact that we are in the fastest growing section of the entertainment and tech industry, that's what's exciting. It's just the fact that we're doing it at all. And I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll just say that it's it's that to me is the coolest thing because there's so many people who who wants to get into esports and try and get into esports. And the fact that I've been fortunate enough to through a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work been able to make it here. Um, I'm just glad to be along for the ride, man. That's my favorite thing. Just the fact that we're doing it. The fact that it's working. Like, yeah. That's really cool. It's insane to me. I'm making I'm making money off of talking about esports. Who who to thunk yeah. it, right? Like 10 years ago, my mom would have lashed me out of my room and be like, turn off that stupid computer and go out, go eat dinner, okay? We're not doing this anymore. I'm like, all right, mom. Whatever. Who's laughing now? But <laughs> it's, it's fun to think that we're in the zeitgeist right now. You know, the the, yes. the, the real kind of the 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 powerhouse that where everything is kind of being culturally developed developed around. It's it's insane to me that's kind of we're in that space right now. But Paul, I, I gotta say it's been a joy talking to you. I, I I I don't know anybody else who I think has been as exciting to talk to you about this than you. And so tell me, what are some things that ESL is 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 working on right now? Tournaments coming up. What are you working on next? I know this is kind of a, a down day for you. You got some events coming up. Tell us about them. Oh, for sure. Uh, well, we're right in the thick of our, our ESL 
challenge mobile challenge program right now, which is sort of our pro league for mobile. Uh, so for Clash of Clans and Brawl Stars, uh, those fantastic Supercell titles. Uh, this being recorded on, I think today's the eighth yep, yes. or the seventh, the eighth. And uh, so our finals are happening next week in in Europe and Asia, North America. So if you're curious at all about what this is about, ESL Mobile on Twitter is a great place to sort of check in. We're doing a giveaway right now. If you're into that, it could be kind of fun. Uh, and also, yeah, I'm going to be doing more casting, I think, with PUBG Mobile coming up, so some of their pro league stuff, which should be a lot of fun, uh, as well as I host all of our shows here uh, at ESL. Um, and then, yeah, I'm going to try and put out more YouTube content. That's the other thing I'm doing because awesome. I've, I've been trying to make an effort because there's so much like mysticism in esports and like people don't want to share information and all this. stuff. I think that's dumb. <laughs> I don't like that. Uh, so things like how to put on esports broadcasts at home. I have a whole video that breaks down how much commentators should get paid because that's a hyper tab yes. subject that nobody wants to talk about. I literally will give you price ranges because for some reason, nobody wanted to do that. And as somebody who hires talent for North America for ESL, that's how much we're paying. So, you know, it's actually a real number. So trying to do more of that stuff, I'm going to continue to make an effort there. So if you have things you want to know about esports that you're like, I can't get anybody to give me a straight answer on this. Hit me up on Twitter. Ask. I am always looking for for more of these questions people have because conversations like this are great, but sometimes people don't have access to them or, or don't know or don't know what they don't know. And that's kind of what I'm looking to address. No, and you're addressing it all perfectly right now. And so like, like, like you said, follow me on Twitter at Invirum Gaming, YouTube channel. I think it's at Invirum or uh, website, of course, Invirum.tv. Boom. I'll leave all these links in the podcast description for you too. So no worries there. You can just click on the, on your little phone, your mobile device, switch hey. off the game for a bit. And, you know, just hit the, hit the little podcast description thing and find the links there. So no problem at all. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. I got to yell extensively yes. about mobile games for 40 minutes. Yes. You, you know what? You, next time you want to come and yell about mobile games, hit me up. I will let you scream and like into Let's the, the ether for the next hour if you'd like to. It's all about you, and, and you're more than welcome to do it. And I can't thank you enough again for coming on the show. It's a great opportunity to talk to you, and I just love the insight you provided. It's awesome stuff. Well, thanks so much for, for putting on a platform like this. And, and again, you're part of this, too, helping to pull back the, the curtain uh, of esports and help folks learn a little bit more about it. So thank you so much for putting this on. Anytime. Anytime at all. He is Paul Toddkill, a.k.a. Inverum. Works with ESL as a commentator, caster, you know, product manager, all sorts of titles he has in his name. And I'm just a guy. I'm just Kevin Correa right here on the Esports Network Podcast. Yeah.